like to do that. I'm I'm just a be a friendly person. I'm just looking around. <laughs> do you want to do it? Um, you said you would do. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and all the beautiful people around us. Thank you for our children and families and our parents and grandparents. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love, and thank you for this class and John's helping us to become enlightened about things. And I just want to... Um, thank you again for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Uh, and the cool thing is I know her daughter, and she is uh, what year at Neo-Nucom now? Fourth, third year, and in medical school. So when will she graduate? A year from now. So that's been an exciting process to watch from afar her daughter go through medical school. How's that? Is this better?
You have to turn a dial back there. That's what this is. There's a dial back there. Hey. Uh, just. Doesn't make people right with God. That's yes. The law was designed to lead us to Christ, to show us wasn't designed to save us. The law was a tutor to lead us to faith in Christ. Now that faith in Christ has come for us and we have believed in Jesus, trusted in him, relied in him, we're relying upon what he did for us to save us, what does Paul say should be the experience? What, what's the ramifications of accepting Jesus and accept, stepping into this new dimension of life? In this text, 520, what does he say? What should, what should be characteristic? Grace. Okay, well, and what kind of grace? Would you qualify it at all? Abounding grace. It's a comparative statement. You might, maybe if I draw a scale, it'll help you. Some sort of spiritual cosmic scale. He's weighing two things. He's weighing grace. sin, and he's weighing grace. And he's asserting in this text which is the heaviest. Grace. He's saying that
that grace is so abundant and abounds so much through the resurrection of Christ and how that that it should in our lived experience uh, outweigh sin and the reign of sin and the how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, why don't you unpack that before I comment? <laughs> so sin, sin, sin becomes like this torture uh, where we where we then come to an honesty and a truth. Oh, you know what's brilliant about that? Um, Aeschylus, Aeschylus said that the sorrows that drip, that God allows to drip upon our hearts are the thing that teach us wisdom. That was written 500 years before Christ. So, uh, yes, uh, he actually uses the waterboarding uh, (laughs) metaphor. Uh, This dripping of sin and sorrow into our lives is designed eventually to do what? Crack us. Crack us. To a new awareness, and then we step from our failure uh, of trying to live a moral life, which we can't do because of our uh, fallen condition. Um, we then step into Christ, and we com- become part of a second humanity. Now, look in the context around this text, starting at verse 12. What does your cheater Bible headline say in your Bible that the content of 5:12 through 21 is? Death through Adam, life through, life through Christ. Who's got something different? Christ, the ground of our salvation. What else? Faith brings joy. Wow, that's interesting. That's five twenty-one or five twelve through twenty-one. Oh, new living. Is it? Does it go from five one all the way down? Yeah. So he's picking up on the earlier stuff. That's fine. I mean, that's good because he, that, he, that's how he actually opens the text, the, ch- the chapter. Anybody else? Adam and Christ compared. Now we're cooking with gas. Why? Why is he taking uh, Adam and then laying Adam next to Jesus and running a comparative? Yes. Precisely. He's showing us the heads, the seminal heads of the two humanities. And this, this is something that is so important for us to understand. It has to do with this n- notion in philosophy called ontology. Now, what would you think if I told, well, and this has to do with being. Ontos in Greek means to be. So ontology is this philosophical study of being, of what it means to be. Uh, And it's a very fascinating uh, study. So the question is, what happens to people when they become Christians? Do they change? Do they become truly something different than than before they became a Christian? Does something change in them that's related to their sense of being? Uh, what, and, and I want you to tell me what you think changes when a person becomes a Christian. 
and we're going to then apply this, of course, also to Eve and Mary today. What changes? Oh, okay, so you're no longer under the law, but that's a, that's a uh, status. It's a uh, relation, uh, standing. I want to know what, what's different about a Christian person than a not yet Christian. And a lot of Christians don't want to answer this because they're afraid that they're going to fall into pride and sound like they're making it out like they're better than other people. No, this is what God has told us is true about us once we become Christian. So it's something that God does. It's not something that we can be proud of. Um, what is different about the Christian than the non-Christian? Yes. But it wasn't until you went back with that course through the Old Testament predicting Christ that I became absolutely convinced that this was the right story and I no longer have any kind of question of any kind. And that's okay, good. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, um, yeah, you had an experience with, um, uh, it was kind of like apologetics, vindicating, you could see the supernaturalism inherent in the Bible, it just fits so well, and pr messianic prophecy has always been something that has really been persuasive for people down through the ages. So as a result of this, now you have a new sense of joy. Okay. What else? What, what's different about a, a Christian after God gets done with them? Uh, yeah, that's, that's related to what you would do. I want to know what is different about you as a person as a result. Uh, you would be making God happy. Your goal would be to make God happy rather than making yourself happy. And that is absolutely true. But I want to know what's different about the being of the human, not just what they do. Okay, these people descended from uh, Jesus and Mary. Number one, they have something that these people don't have, living inside of them in a special way. Now, the Holy Spirit influences, acts upon these people. The Holy Spirit's everywhere present and acts upon not yet Christians but only inside of the Christian does the Holy Spirit live on a permanent basis. So right there, that makes a huge ontological difference between a Christian and a not yet Christian, and it's not anything that the Christian can be proud of because how does that happen? How does the Holy Spirit, how does God come to live inside the Christian? It's just faith. All of this stuff comes as a result of trusting and believing that Jesus rose from the dead. These differences that they work inside of us. So what else? What else does the New Testament say is ontologically different? I'll help you in, while you're thinking. 2 Corinthians 5.17, why don't you look up that text? Uh, and he lays it out as a hypothetical, you know, if anyone is in Christ. Well, uh, he's trying to, he says it that way rhetorically because he wants you to see 
that there's a difference that really will happen to a person if they become in Christ. So, good morning, John. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Now, this is not being metaphorical. That makes this what? The old creation. And this isn't junk over here. This is beautiful. And these creatures, all humans, were all made in the image of God, correct? Now watch this carefully. So they're God-bearers. That's what human beings were designed to be. We were designed to be walking icons. Uh, You could look at a human being, and especially a human being in conjunction with uh, the opposite gender, uh, a couple. And in that coupling between a male and a a female, the book of Genesis says you you see see the full-blown image of God if we weren't fallen. But the problem is that we're fallen, and so there's a diminishment. It's not completely shattered, but it's marred. And sometimes it can get so marred that you wonder whether you're dealing with a human or an orc. And that's one of the great things about the Lord of the Rings because you can invent this race of creatures that theoretically don't bear the image of God like the hobbits do and the uh, elves do and Gandalf does and all these creatures. These are people that bear the image, but the orcs are devilish creatures made by weird and evil uh, science. Uh, And so they're not human, really. And so you can slaughter them with impunity. And you're, you're not really killing a human. So that, that makes us feel good when we watch The Lord of the Rings. They're not really human, what you're killing. But all of these creatures, all these humans that descended from Adam and Eve, they are really, truly still made in the image of God, but it's marred. And then now go over to Col- Colossians 1.15 and look at this. Colossians 1.15 to see what, what's different. What does it mean to be a new creation? What does God do? Uh, yes, he does, but I want to know, that's a, that's a status or a relationship thing. I want to know what is different about the human at the end of this process. What is ontologically different about the human? So when you get to Colossians 1.15, what does it say? He, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus himself, if, that's why the master said, if you see me, you see the Father. Because you remember the disciples asked him, it would really be great at the end of your ministry here if you could wrap it all up by showing us God. Do you remember when, he, when they said that to him at the Passover? And what was his response? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. What do you think's been going on for three years? You've been watching God in action. And they didn't get it. So, okay. What Jesus claimed is he was the perfect image of God. Now go to Colossians 3.10 and look and see what God's going to do with the people that are in Christ. Colossians 3.10. 
What does it, I need somebody to read this one for me. 310, nice and loud. The mic, the mic works now. Awesome. Okay, Colossians 310. Yes. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. What happens, according to this passage, to the new creation once the creator has created the new creation, what does he say the, the status or the ontological sense of being is about that human in this passage? What is God in the process of doing? 310, Colossians. This is hard. It's terrible when you don't have glasses and don't have a Bible. That's, yes, I can't imagine any place worse on the universe to be on Sunday morning. No glasses and no text. Okay, those of you who have one, is this hard? What does he say God's doing? Renewing us into what? Into the image. We were originally made in the image of God that was trashed and marred and now God's starting, as it were, with a new creation. Anyone who wants to join this new humanity has to transfer from this line over into this line. It's like uh, getting adopted. Or you can choose to stay in this line with the marred image and all of the subsequent things that he charts out in Romans 5, which if you did your homework, you realize what, what are some of the things that Adam brought into the world, according to Romans 5. I take it that you probably didn't study very hard this week. Death, sin, condemnation, And he doesn't say it here, Marty, but alienation, separation. Over there, of course, God does what? Reconciliation. Uh, all of this stuff that comes from being in Adam gets transmitted to us by virtue of being born into the human situation. And the cool thing is, living in the 21st century, that we now know that genes plus memes, and who knows what memes are. This is, this is the cutting edge of all human science now. It comes from the Greek word mimetic, which means learned behavior by observation and imitation. Memes are the, the way we learn, the true way we learn. The true way humans learn is not from uh, books per se, we learn by imitation, by being born into like a little nest. And we're like little ducklings, or uh, you probably get offended by some of these things, but you've seen the imprinting that ducks do when they follow their moms, uh, and all of that stuff. That's what humans are like. We're born into a nest, and probably for about the first 10 years, we're not self-conscious. 
we're getting completely and totally uh, programmed by the memes of our culture. And the memes of our culture are interacting with the genes that you received, which you had no choice about. And therefore, the memes and the genes working together produce a creature living in a particular time-space historical continuum, also an, an error of everything that Adam brought into the world. So you got gene, your genes, me, your memes, and Adam's nature. That's why the world is the way it is. Yes? Yes, mimetic. Absolutely, brilliant. Good, a mime. So, uh, we, we watch our culture, right? And then we imitate it, and that's how humans really learn. And later on, the book learning comes in and kind of you select out of the books uh, the book learning, what reinforces usually your mimetic structure, unless you're a brave soul and you shatter this and go for something different. So, and that's of course the whole thesis of the New Testament. No, hold on one second. That at any time you can do this. You can switch over and come over into this new humanity, which is really a truly new and unique human experience. It's not the same. It's not just becoming religious. It's having something supernatural done inside of you that makes you a different person, and it's done by God. Yes, sir. You know, John, okay. Well, yes, Jerry, but that's why it's crucial that we always keep in mind Paul's construct here in 520, because what's he ultimately saying? It doesn't matter what Adam and Eve did in the end because what has now happened? Christ has come and interjected his hyper-grace, and when you compare the hyper-grace of Christ to the effect of Adam and Eve upon us, there's no comparison. Paul is asserting that Christ's influence and impact is way over. So he didn't even just level the playing field. You know, it, he didn't just make things neutral. When Christ came into the situation, he tilted everything so that it would be greatly overwhelmingly in our favor now, now that he's come, died, and rose again. Now, I'll come right to you and then John. love positively. I talked why racism is wrong. I talked about sexism. I talked about reverence for life. Then they saw me behaving in the home. <laughs> Did I always, when we got in the car, I stepped in the driver's seat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think- And thus what? What? Thus what? Thus they saw hypocrisy. No, they saw inconsistency. Call it what, what we will. Hypocrisy is when you deny that you're inconsistent. Oh. Okay? That so that's what they saw. At that point in time, I would have denied it. I'm not, I'm not saying God bless you, but they, with the problem they is... They are. All those right. people, not me. So, so you, what you're testifying to, John, is that 
and this is what we want to get into, actually, that even though you may have switched over and come over and become a new creation, it doesn't mean that initially, immediately, you're going to ha- be an integrated Christocentric person. Um, now look at Second um, um, Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. I mean, we're talking about new creations that now have uh, God living inside of them, and the goal is to become transformed into the icon of Jesus. You get to 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says, But we all with open face beholding, as in a mirror, uh, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one stage of glory into another, even by the Spirit of the Lord. So this text tells us clearly what? That once you come into Christ and have the Godhead living inside of you and you've become a new creation and you have a new spirit and you can now know and understand God, that it's a process of being transformed how? From one stage of glory to another. And that's never going to end in this lifetime. It will continue to go on. You never arrive because Christ is perfect and we're not. So God's dedicated to the crazy proposition that in this lifetime, I'm going to restore you to the degree that you let me restore you. You're saved by grace, but now that you've come over here and you're in my family, if you let me have my way with you, I will completely dismantle you and turn you into a glorious, you you can't even imagine how awesome you will be. You will be like Jesus. And everyone says at this point what? Nah, <laughs> nah, I don't think so. Right, because the only way this works is what you have to f- leave behind. You have to check at this door here when you come into this new family. This is predicated upon genes and memes, what you've learned. It's predicated upon your human effort to live up to some sort of a code. How'd that work out for the human race? <laughs> So when you come over here, (laughs) it should be understood. It's implied in the invitation. You come over and join my family, and I'm going to give you some new equipment. I'm going to put some stuff inside of you that you didn't have before. I'm going to change you, and then I'm going to dedicate myself to the insane proposition of making you exactly like Jesus. And the only thing that's going to stop me from you becoming like Jesus is you that's exactly what the New Testament is holding out to us Uh, and I could go on and on you could have an entire course on all of the things in fact Colossians is the book I mean if you want to find out what God has done for you in Christ he lists it in detail all of the awesome things but this is the big picture now somebody else had their hand up Uh, yes sir I guess I've grown up under the influence of Detroit and model years and 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 trans transformation. So okay, okay. So God ran out the 1950 Studebaker <laughs> with an automatic transmission, and now we've been through you know something. Why would I not assume that okay, the law thing didn't quite work out, and now we've got the the grace, the grace thing. thing. 
should I expect a, a, a new model yes. to be ro the Prius or yes. whatever? Yes, yes. That's another awesome illustration. You are really hot today. In more ways than one. Here, hold this. Um, yes, this would be, oh, okay. You remember the guy in the 70s, a DeLorean, that came out with the uh, stainless steel car? Why didn't that go over? It, I mean, that's brilliant. That's a car that lasts forever. And if you put a, a high-tech engine, that, uh, a Prius engine, in a DeLorean, and you say to people, okay, that's a new type of a car, plus all the other high-tech gizmos in it make it completely green. Boom. That would be a pretty good analogy for what God has done. This, and this would be like driving... Um, uh, what's the what's the most sinful, uh, wicked? Uh, uh, no, that's not the wickedest. That's just crazy to drive one of those. My parents had one, and we were in a front-end accident with it, too, and it wasn't a lot of fun. A Rambler. Now, I want the wickedest car ever that violates every known principle of, uh, you know, greenness. Uh, 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 that, that's just a junk car, though. I mean, right. Actually, they, just, they cost so little, they, they can't qualify because they're not doing that much damage to the environment. They only last a year and a half. I, I want a, a Cadillac Seville. Oh, my. A Hummer. There, now we're getting hot. <laughs> Somebody's going to get mad. We could put a 2000 BMW uh, Z3 up there, too. That's pretty wicked. But the point is, whatever wicked car we put up there, you'd have to come over here and have a car that was, you know, just brilliant, totally new. But why, why do I not assume that it'll be one up? It will be. This, this board ends this life. Now find 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Yes, that's awesome. Beloved. Behold what manner of love the Father has poured out upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. We are the children of God. And, it, are you with me? And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this board is only this life. And so what God wants to do is take these creatures that are you know, fallen at in all of their sinful uh, hummerness, yeah, inability, and he brings them up here, and then this is the this is the path, and this is the end of life, and the goal of life is to get as close to Christ, you know. And then people argue, you know, some you know actually some people claim they can get there, hundred percent obedience. God bless them. Anybody here that's done that? Um, I, the goal is from God's point I want you to be substantively like Jesus and then when he comes you step into the next level and you see him as he is and you get instantaneously transformed to be completely like him this is the Christian story yes sir <laughs> well yes see the God's plan is that the gap should be it should be somewhat seamless, you know. You just a, a gentle slide, and you become perfected. Not a a complete major restoration job here at the end, but whatever the case may be, it's all by grace. 
the, the, the God's thesis is, is that you'll have a much happier life and you'll do a lot more, more good in the world for Christ if you close the gap, if you let the gap get closed. You'll still get saved. But, I mean, if you're down here for most of your life, um, you're saved, but you're not really doing um, what God wants you to do. So, you know, it's, you, that's not good. It, it, the 613 were revealed by God according to the Bible to Moses. It wasn't the priest. Yeah. The, the law was given to, this is my dating, people have differing datings, but I think the law was given to Moses in 1444 B.C. and they entered Cana in 1405 that's 40 years they spent it in the desert, and over that 40-year period, Moses wrote the Torah. Now, it was amended, stuff was added later on, but the corpus, the heart of it, the core of it was done by 1405. To show you that it's impossible, because humans are knuckleheads. I mean, you know, what's the definition of insanity? <laughs> Somebody that does the same thing over and over and over again and doesn't learn from their mistakes. That I, I don't know. We have a psychologist here. Do you think that's even remotely helpful <laughs> as a def, as a working definition of insanity? Well, then this is insane. And so God gave us, told us, okay, this is the way out of your insanity. Try this. And at the end, you're supposed to say, I'm really insane because I can't even do this. And God says, yes, you got the point. Now, come over here and let me do inside of you what you cannot do. Yes. Well, yes. That would be like Nic that would be Nicodemus, John, in the Old Testament. You know, before Jesus died, Nicodemus was regarded by Jesus as a great guy because he was an idealist and he tried to keep the law, and uh, he did everything he could. He was a wonderful human being, and the the Lord's message to him is the same as. S the worst human being that's ever lived. You must be born from above. You have to have God do something to you. It's not about you. It's what God does to you. So it doesn't matter if you're a religious person or not. We all need to be born a second time. Now in this paradox paper I gave you, now what we want to do is spend the rest of our time focusing on Eve and Mary. Because the case can be made that in the 21st century, we need to amend the Adam-Christ model exclusively because we can learn a lot about how God works by looking at it from the female viewpoint too. So we're, no, we're not going to read the ones that have to do with Adam. We're going to read the ones that have to do with Eve. And I'm on the second one. Are you all with me? Do you all have a copy? The first woman, Eve, listened to an angel's message instead of God's and became deceived. 
A second woman, Mary, listened to God in the message of an angel and became blessed. Now, you can comment on these, or you can just stare at me like I'm a cult leader, whatever you want to do this morning. But I, I want you to interact with me if you feel led to do it. Uh, the fourth one. The first woman sought to be as God and lost God's favor. Well, how did she do that? The snake said what? You'll be as God. That was the temptation. The second woman chose to be what? God's handmaiden and found God's favor. What did Mary say to God? Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. I'll do whatever you want. Uh, The sixth one down. First woman trusted her senses instead of God and discovered by her senses that she was naked before God. How'd she do that? How'd she trust her senses to discover truth? Uh, What'd the the, uh, serpent say to her? The fruit, look at it. And the woman looked at it, and, she, and what did she say? She used her senses and said what? It looks good. Of course it looks good. God made it. It was good. But it wasn't good for her. So how did she come to the conclusion that it was good for her? She, she listened to another voice instead of God's, and she trusted ultimately what? Her senses. The second woman gave up trusting what was sensible and found herself clothed with the power of God. Well, now what was Mary called upon to do? What did she have to believe? That she was going to be impregnated without having known a man. That's what she had to believe. And that's crazy. I mean, if you went home and told your parents, women, when you were teenagers, you will not believe this. <laughs> Come on, this is, all, this is Twilight Zone on steroids. And yet she stepped into it, and what did she say to God? Be it done to me as you say, not as how I say. That's the difference. All right, eighth one down. Um, the first woman desired what her eyes saw as good and conceived what was evil. She looked at the stuff. She said it was good. And what was the end of it? She conceived evil. The second woman desired the goodness no human eyes can see and conceived what was humanly impossible. What did Mary conceive? She conceived the Savior. Mary changed the world because she said yes to God. Uh the last one on the first page. Our first mother said to God, that's the one up from the bottom, may it be to me as I say, and lost her voice of praise. What did, what did Mary, in a sense, say to God? Well, how are things going to be between you and me, God? They're going to be as I say. And Mary turns around and says, the second mother said to God, may it be to me as you have said, And Mary sings with a voice of eternal praise. These keep going on and on. I find them amazing. Uh, Anybody want to comment? Anytime you want, go ahead. Okay, first one on the second page. Our mother sought her own paradise and was banished from it by an angel's sword. 
Jesus' mother was pierced by the sword that opened Jesus' side, by which many have found the way into paradise. Now, who knows the background on that? What did uh, the prophet say to Mary? A sword is also going to pierce your soul. So when Jesus was on the cross and that soldier put that sword up in, into his lungs and pierced his chest, Mary was there watching and it was as if she had the same experience. She was pierced too. She was so identified with Jesus that it was like it was piercing her. So she was given that grace. Now, she was pierced with that sword. What was Eve's encounter with the sword? Banished from paradise. Very cosmic. Next one. Uh, it's in the middle of the page. Uh, Eve was deceived and conceived Cain, a life taker. Mary was enlightened and conceived Christ, the life giver. So John does this. If you want to see where I got the background to come up with this notion in the first place. John says that out of this line comes Cain, and out of this line, this is all laid out in, in 1 John 3, comes Christ, and what's characterized by Christ? So how does he characterize himself? What's his basic? He's a life giver. The essence of Cain, at least what we know about him, he's a life taker. So death, life and therefore then John says and that's how you know which family you, a person is in and it's not given so that we walk around and judge it's given so that you can just make sense out of a crazy world of fallen people who's really in contact with God and John says you can tell uh, these kinds of people that are in the family of Christ what are they characterized by what do they do? What, what's their essence? They give life. They are filled with the love of Jesus. These people are filled with, in the end, hate. Hatred for God, hatred for others. And Mary brought this one into the world. Yes? Now, wait a second. This is a word game. Um, what should go on that side? Oh, evil, evil. Oh, my goodness. That's cosmic. Okay. Evil, which is life be backwards. No, it's not. Oh, it's live. Yeah. Okay, so I get it. Yes, it works out beautifully. That's what would characterize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. Um, those are the ones that were on, on Eve, but I just want you to think on this Mother's Day as we end this section. What these two women did to change human history is amazing. Now, 
usually what happens when I've heard this stuff taught before, uh, even though Paul very clearly says in 1 Timothy 2 that the woman was deceived and the man wasn't, which means that the man sinned greater than the woman because the man knew what the man was doing fully and the woman was just schnookered. That's what Paul says, 1 Timothy 4. So if you're schnookered and you sin, it's not as bad in God's eyes if you sin willfully and brazenly. And Adam sinned willfully and brazenly. But usually when I hear this story taught in churches, the upshot always winds up getting around to what conclusion? The ruination of the human race. And in fact, there's a lot of church fathers that got off on this trip too. And, and we start blaming who? Who's responsible for the, the condition of the world? <laughs> women and they let us into sin with their long hair and the church fathers go on and on about it you know that they have long seductive hair they should cut it because it's it's an attraction to men and they, men go into church and want to worship God and they see a beautiful head of hair and they lose their mind and uh this is in the church fathers, right? And, and then that gives them an occasion then to wax on in great detail about how women were the gateway of hell. And John, you know all this. And they pour out all this stuff on how women ruined the world. Well, now, as we really look at what the Bible says, is that true? <laughs> John, yes? I don't Yes, well, God bless everybody on their journey, uh, and I want to live in the apostolic world, and so we now come to this conclusion that says what? That, uh, first of all, if Christ's impact in the world is greater than Adam's, which is what the thesis of the Course is, right? Romans 5.20, hypergrace. Jesus far outdid Adam in good. Well, then that would be true of Mary compared to Eve as well, right? Because what did Eve bring into the world? She, she, she cooperated with Adam and brought in fallenness. She cooperated with God and brought in what? The era of grace, salvation. She brought the Savior into the world. She allowed the Savior to be born in her. She allowed sin to be born in her. She changed the world. She changed the world. But if Paul's right, who changed the world the most? Mary. So why do we spend all of our time when we go into this literature fixing blame on this chica. Oh, by the way, that's how you say her. That's her name in Hebrew, too, Isha. The, the guy is Ish. Adam's Ish, and this is another way of saying Adam and Eve. Ish and Isha. So Isha is another way of saying chica in Hebrew. <laughs> Eve, mother of the living, yes, but she brought forth death. Uh, a woman, Mary, brought forth the Savior. If Paul's right, who changed the world the most? So that's what I want people 
to ascend into instead of getting caught in this cul-de-sac, which I think is a symptom of not understanding grace in the first place because you have to keep going back, 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 and affixing blame for the fall of the human race. And happily, God's attitude to the whole thing is what? I've moved on, in case you haven't noticed. I did something. I sent Christ. We're 2,000 years into this. And Paul says, it's better now. It's so much better than it ever could have been. So we should be almost like deliriously happy, and how come we're not? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe we're listening to the side too much. Anybody else? Why? This, this should be the best of all possible worlds. We should be, uh, what, what could be better? More grace, transformed lives now, and then all we're, we're waiting for is to step into that, over that veil, and go right into perfection. What could be better? What could be happier? Yes. More people come? an abundance of just overflowing craziness. Yes, that's what Paul says. That's the way it should be. We should be allowing Jesus to distribute so much grace and love and goodness inside of us that it makes what we did when we were in this part of the human race look like children play, what we did when we were stupid little kids playing with mud pies. Now we've grown up and we're really doing something important. That's what our sin would be like to us. Yes, Dan? I don't know that the line's that fine. And, and here's what I'm going to say. It probably isn't. You know, what, what we just came through with these, you know, the battle's over. The victory's won, right? The yes. Been defeated. But yes. We still have to live with the devil because he still reigns in this world, and we still see his effects until that final coming. When that's right. And that's why that line, and that's why we're not happy, in part why we're not happy, because we still have to live with his presence, and we don't believe that the I agree with you. Now, how did this person live? This is the twisty on the whole thing. He lived in the same world that you and I do, and yet allowed God to reign supreme. And this is, this is what, I know, but this is what Paul claims, that that, what he did in his first body, can be replicated in us substantively, not perfectly, but substantively. It's something God can do. Only God can do. You have to let God do it. You have to actually present yourself and say, I want to be supernaturally transformed into the image of Jesus, whatever it cost. Because <laughs> it's going to cost. <laughs> it is. I know. Now, which way are we turned? We all, with open face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one stage of glory to another. I mean, what are we looking at? What God's doing in Christ? Or are we looking back here at this world? And that, that's another big factor right there. What is it that you're focused on? This is, this is what, it is, what it is. God wants us to get with the program and, and bring forth hyper-grace into this world. Yes. Your name is Claudia. Claudia. Yeah, I've been a couple years Christ. Christ was. Uh, I'm surprised you came back. <laughs> Christ was on the cross hanging. You're deep. I like you. I <laughs> Christ was on the cross hanging, and he had done everything I 
have not been able to do yet for 55 years. So then I'm kind of like, okay, if I was hanging on a cross, everybody got done, especially my own people, am I going to hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? If I was Jesus Christ, I would. Well, then how about if I try that right here, right now? And if I try that right here, right now, you know what? God blesses it. And things past become changed. And the past is different in your present future. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool because, okay, look, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But what does Paul say, Claudia, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at the, at the end of his life when he's talking about uh, Alexander the silversmith and all these people that have betrayed him, and even Christians, Demas has forsaken him, he's in jail, the Christians have abandoned him, the world is against him, and what's he say? May it not be uh, written down against them in the record book. He forgives them all. So that means then that fallen human beings, of which Paul was one, can be progressively transformed eventually to get to the same kind of... place that Jesus was. You could say the same kind of thing. Well, you can forgive it, which is what God's calling us to do. Have you forgiven Adam and Eve, by the way? Yes, Roger. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, I think you could construct an instrument using apostolic categories for how, what it looks like when Jesus is in control of a personality. And you could actually tailor a, a questionnaire that would be verifiable and, you know, made reliable. And it could really pr- produce empirical evidence that you could determine whether you're really letting Christ live in and through you. I mean, it would not be comprehensive. It would be one tool. But you could do it. And that is the problem with those things, because, you know, like you can produce people like the Pharisee that said, and went up to the temple and said, look, I tithe, uh, I, I, I keep the Sabbath, I'm not like this slime over here. I mean, he, he recites his religious pedigree, right? And, and what does Jesus say? That the guy that said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is the one that got justified, and the one that thought he was doing great wasn't. So, yeah, you, you have to be careful that you wouldn't equate behavior. But it is true that if you are really letting Jesus live in and through you, that there are going to be stu- there's going to be things coming out of you and activities and attitudes and values and a sense of being that's got to be way different than when you're not because otherwise we are in the biggest, weirdest cult ever. What's the point if there's not actually... A, a change that can happen. And the last comment for the today will be my friend here. Negative new cells. Okay, so certain uh, f- um, venues or sectors of our fallen culture, the meme section, are lasered in on the Adamic trash of the human experience. So if you want to wallow in Adamic trash, 
you're saying that the internet is a good place to spend a lot of time. Yes, and that's true. Uh, what you eat, uh, in fact, the, the, the computer age was born with this simple uh, phrase. We don't use it anymore, and anybody know what it is? Garbage in, garbage out. So yeah, if that's what you're eating off the internet, yeah, you're going to have a hard time. God wants us to turn and ascend into Christ. Yes. Yes. Well, that's a pleasant thought for us to go out into the world with. All right, um, God bless you. See you next week. Hope you have a wonderful time with your families and uh, have a good day rejoicing that the grace of Christ is far greater than our sin.